Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. They don't wear red in the home of our next guest. Uh, that would be up in the Pacific Northeast. Uh, wanted to get some Seahawk talk in here this week because the Russell Wilson situation has had a lot of spins and turns attached to it. Uh, so to give us some of the latest Seattle insight with the Seahawks is their beat reporter from the News Tribune, Greg Bell. Greg joins us here on CBS Sports Radio. How are you, bud? I'm well, Jody. No, you're no red. Sorry about that. How are you? Very good. Can't complain at all. Uh, are they complaining up there in Seattle because their quarterback, their guy, Mr. Let Russ Cook, has during this offseason suggested, you know, might not be the worst thing in the world if I ended up elsewhere. How is uh, Mr. Wilson being treated in Seattle these days? Well, better the last couple of days. They traded for Gabe Jackson, one of the best pass-protecting guards in the league, the last half-dozen years with the Raiders. Traded a fifth-round pick for him. They surprisingly unexpectedly re-signed Chris Carson. Got the agreement on that done on Friday for at least two more years. The market and the running backs really came back to Seattle. They thought he was gone and probably for at least $8 million or more a year. And they sign him for a little over seven, seven, four a year. So those are two really big developments for the offense. The continuity, the running game, Pete Carroll wanting to go back to the run to help the pass protection. They hired Shane Waldron from the Rams to install the run base, quicker play action, quick passing game. It really wasn't Seattle's game last year. They chucked it down the field and held it for a long time, which is why Wilson was sacked so often. But through all this noise, Jody, about Russell Wilson wanting to be traded, he's never said that. The Seahawks have never wanted to trade him. They never were going to trade him. The story really hasn't changed since January. The only remarkable piece of this was Wilson coming out publicly to us on a Zoom call for the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. saying, I asked him, point blank, are you frustrated with the Seahawks? And he said, I'm frustrated with getting hit too much. And that, Jody, was the first time that the company man, Pete Carroll's guy, the Franchise Foundation, had ever out here said, I'm frustrated with how the team is and the direction it's headed. He's never, ever expressed anything but company lines. And so that was a departure, and that was the news, really the news of the whole issue. And then his agent, Mark Rogers, telling ESPN and confirming that he did, in fact, tell the Seahawks, well, if you're going to trade my client, here are four teams he'd be liking to go to. And then everyone forgot the if part. If you want to trade my client, never changed. 
the Seahawks didn't ever want to trade him, and, and the $39 million cap hit was just one reason. The main reason, Jody, was because if the Seahawks traded Russell Wilson, they wouldn't have Russell Wilson anymore. Right. And that's that's why he wasn't going anywhere. And everyone could have thrown – I mean, the Bears could have thrown Wrigley Field, Soldier Field, Lake Michigan, Miracle Mile. It wouldn't have mattered. They, we're not going to trade him because it would have left Seattle without a quarterback plus a $39 million cap hit. Uh, there was the report that the Bears did offer three first-round picks and two starters. Didn't say what level the starters were, but basically a five-for-one trade. Uh, were you able to confirm that? Is that just uh, wishful thinking on a reporter's part? Do you think those conversations actually took place? I talked to both sides, Jody, and what has happened is the Seahawks are always listening, and they want to be in on everything, and this is no different. They say, okay. Tell me your best pitch to anybody about any player. And it happened to be Russell Wilson with the Bears this time. Okay, what would your best pitch be? And the, the Bears told him the three first-round picks, the two starters, and the Seahawks said, ah, no, we're still not trading them. And the Bears were left with the impression that it would take – they had not – the Bears did not have enough, mainly a quarterback, but did not have enough to replace with Russell Wilson in Seattle. So that's why the Bears went and signed uh, Andy Dalton and went a different way. Really, there are only a couple teams in the league who would have what the Seahawks need to trade with right now. That's mean an elite-level quarterback who you could plug and play right now. And nobody they were talking to had that, including the Raiders. Uh, and the Cowboys, of course, after they gave the open the bank vault for Dak Prescott was out of that discussion – but it never got serious because, as I was told in January and it stayed true throughout, not only was I told, but common sense that they never wanted to trade him. So they listened to what offers were and said, yeah, that's what we thought. It would never be close to what we could even be tempted to trade him for. He's under contract for three more years, $69 million, and for the foreseeable future, and all logic and signs indicate he'll be where he's been the last nine years, their franchise quarterback still. The Seahawks. difference now, though, is he has voiced his displeasure and his frustration, and now their challenge is to go out and improve the pass rush, or the pass protection for him. Seahawks beat writer uh, for the News Tribune, uh, Greg Bell, our guest here on CBS Sports Radio. Jody Mack, coming your way live from the Rocket Mortgage Studios. Want to see your loan options, adjust payments, and closing costs all online in real time? Rocket can. Um, how much reparation of relations now has to be done. If they flirted, they went out, uh, teams made their best pitch, they showed uh, Russell, we listened when you talk, we at least explored, didn't come close, uh, we need to get this thing back together here in Seattle. How much reparations have to go on between Russell Wilson and the guy who's basically in charge, head coach slash general manager Pete Carroll? Right, and Pete, first of all, I don't think a lot because Pete Carroll can easily tell and convince Russell Wilson that it never got close because nobody had anything remotely close to offer to replace him. And the discussions never got more than we heard what they offered. And that was it. And I, and I think that's a pretty easy discussion and a loyalty after 10 years between a quarter, a franchise quarterback and his guy. Russell Wilson knows that Pete Carroll and for that matter, John Schneider, the first time in GM out here cast their lot from 2012 on Russell Wilson. Their future in the NFL as coach and general manager was based on Russell Wilson, and they went with him as a rookie in the rookie training camp, three exhibition games into his career, and decided this was our guy. And that was after they signed Matt Flynn to a multi-million dollar deal from Green Bay to be their starter. 
and Wilson was better than him in his first training camp. And ever since that, Carol and Snyder said, you're our guy. And they staked their franchise to it. They gave him two contract extensions, both of which at the time of signing were the richest deals in NFL history. They shuttled everybody else out that uh, was getting old and expensive or was not happy for whatever reason. I'm talking about Richard Sherman and Michael Bennett. They're all gone. And who are left is Russell Wilson, Bobby Wagner, and K.J. Wright. And they paid Russell Wilson $140 million. So I don't think it's a hard sell to Russell Wilson about how the Seahawks feel about him. He has made $200-plus million in his last two contracts to show how much they care about him. So a lot of this is the agent side of posturing for two years down the road. His contract ends in 2023, and they're going to revisit this and try to reset unprecedented record money. And all of that is there's some leveraging at play, even two years ahead of time. Uh, his agent has done, has done public club leveraging the last two times they've redone deals. But I think at its core, the relationship between Carol and Wilson has been so strong for now eight, nine years that that shouldn't be a hard sell. Now, the locker room may be a different story. There'll be younger players who have never gone through anything but Russell Wilson as a company man here in Seattle who are going to wonder about all this. And he will probably need to talk to those kind of guys, the guys that he is the unquestioned leader with. There's no more Richard Sherman and Michael Bennett and Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor here anymore to be the locker room leaders. It's Wilson. And I think Wilson needs to talk to those guys in Will. He's smart enough to know that. And most of all, his offensive line. I mean, he didn't exactly have glowing things to say about them when he says, I'm tired of getting hit too much. I'm sure he's also already talked to Blaine Brown, his best lineman, the left tackle, who's 35 and old enough to know that it's a business. But some of his younger offensive linemen, he may need to talk to them a little bit too. But, hey, if they're winning games in September, October, November, none of this will matter. I agree with you on the uh, locker room thing. It has to be done. I think it will be done, and I think Russell's good enough, smart enough, and they got good guys in that clubhouse that uh, after a uh, sit-down and an explanation, I don't think there'll be any. If there were feathers ruffles in the locker room, they'll get worked out. But I still do have a question about Pete Carroll because it did come out over the last however many weeks it's been since the season ended, five, six, seven, uh, that there were some questions about how – Blame is ferreted out there in Seattle that because Pete Carroll is the main uh, leader in picking player personnel with the help of his general manager, but he's got a lot of say, a lot more than most other coaches in the NFL. He's got several sons on the staff, one of which was up and left, but was there, that Russell Wilson said that not everybody is held as accountable as they should be. And that was a direct shot at the entire Carroll clan, I had to believe. When you start to drag family into it, that can get a little bit dicey. Are you telling me that Pete Carroll can just uh, straighten his hair out and say, all right, Russ, and give him a big hug and everything will be hunky-dory? Yeah, basically. Pete Carroll, by force of personality, Jody, Pete Carroll believes he can fix anything and that he can rehabilitate any situation that he can mend fences, that he can bring out the best in everybody. But he has had ultimate authority since the Seahawks signed him from USC in 2010. That's how it got him back in the NFL. When Paul Allen, the owner, sent Todd Lewicki, his CEO at the time, 11 years ago to SC to bring Carroll here, that was the promise. You bring your whole show. You're going to be the ultimate football authority. You'll be the executive vice president for football. 
you are going to hire the general manager. That's how it worked here. He hired John Snyder. He has ultimate football authority over Schneider, and he's had a leadership ownership group now, including Jody Allen, the late Paul Allen's sister, who has been completely hands-off and said, Pete Carroll, it's your football operation. We own the team and you run it. And so it has been this way for 11 years. It's not any different now than it was when Carroll first signed to take the job. And the Seahawks ownership and, and everybody in the organization can't argue with the results. I mean, nine of 11 playoff years in the playoffs, eight of the last nine, the only Super Bowl championship this franchise has ever had. Two Super Bowls should be two rings. Division Five division titles, including one just this year. Now, though, the standards have gone up where they expect to be in Super Bowls, and they haven't been there for the last seven years. And they haven't made a pass in division round since making Super Bowl 49. And that is what they're fighting against now. Wilson wants to have the ball in his hands, and he wants to throw it in 95% of the offense. His legacy, the best that's ever done it. And Carroll knows that that's not how he wins. He needs an, an offense that can control field position, time of possession, the defense that could help him win games. He hasn't had a defense do that in recent years. But most of all, he needs to run the ball to help his offensive line pass protect. And he wants to run it more than Wilson does. And that philosophically has been the rub the last year and a half. Carroll did not like how much they threw it last year. He wants to get back to the run. And now he's going to sell Wilson on with his new offensive coordinator, this Rams offense, in running the ball more to set up Wilson's passing. So, yeah, there's some there's some fences to mend here, and they've got time to do it, and I think they're going to do it. And again, winning will solve everything. And I think if they're in contention, like they think they will be again in, in December, then all of this will be water over the dam. And we're talking to Greg Bell from the News Tribune about the Seahawks here on CBS Sports Radio. All right, you mentioned Russell's comment about. Yeah, I'm complaining because I got hit more than I like getting hit. Uh, there are a lot of ways to change that. Number one is, yes, run the football more. Keeping Chris Carson, good thing. Better protection up front for Russell Wilson. You mentioned the uh, veteran uh, lineman they got from the Raiders today. Should be an upgrade. A third way would be to play a little bit better defense so that Russell isn't going back out onto the field as quickly as he did this year and or not having to return serve on a touchdown given up by the defense because the Seattle defense, after a quick start with the best offense in football, went south pretty quickly this year, and they were good enough to keep it together and make the playoffs, but came back and bit them again in the playoffs. Uh, Shaquille Griffin moves on as a free agent this offseason and they haven't signed any defensive free agents of note. Is this going to be a draft thing? They're just going to go defense on top of defense on top of defense uh, in the draft? Did uh, Russell mention the uh, on or off the record, the defense that they have in Seattle at all uh, since the season ended? No, he hasn't talked about his defense. And that defense, Jody, I mean, it was on pace last year, the first half of the season, to have set NFL records for passing yards allowed and points. They had no pass rush. I mean, it was the worst in the NFL in most of 2019 and the first half of 2020. Then they traded for Carlos Dunlop, and he almost single-handedly revitalized the front. They they started pressuring without blitzing, which they had to blitz Jamal Adams so much early in the year, left their backside open. And Dunlop revitalized them. He won two games on game-ending sacks, walk-off sacks, which were very rare in the NFL. Dunlop had two of them in his first six games with the team. Well, what happened to Dunlap? They had to cut him to save $14 because they had only $4 million of cap space at the beginning of free agency. So to make the moves for Carson and 
trade for Gabe Jackson and to sign a Kevo Witherspoon, the former San Francisco 49ers starting corner, to replace Shaquille Griffin. They had to cut Dunlap to do it. So now they're without their top pass rusher again. That's still the issue on defense. Who's going to rush the quarterback consistently? They have Jaron Reed, who has rushed the quarterback well when he's had an elite defensive end performance next to him, Frank Clark a couple years ago. And then Reed had his best year at defensive tackle in sacks, 10 and a half. In the last half of last season, Carlos Dunlap arrives and Reed revitalizes again. Reed's going into the final year of his $23 million two-year deal. They need a defensive end that can rush outside with him. They think Daryl Taylor, their rookie second-round pick from last year from Tennessee, can be that guy, but he never got on the field last year. He had surgery to fix a, a stress fracture in his lower leg. Jody needed to play the whole year. So they don't, want, they don't know what they have in their top pass rush draft pick from last year. L.J. Collier's been on and off their top pick from two years ago. They have struck out largely in drafting pass rushers, and this is not the year to draft to replenish anything. They have three out here in Seattle right now. They've never had fewer than eight under Carolyn Schneider, but they have only three because they have decided philosophically to trade away this year's draft because of all the uncertainties, no combine, player college players opting out, the FCS just playing only now. Of all the years to not rely on the draft, Seattle's decided this is the year. Now, they may recoup some and come back with more than ending up with just three, but this is not going to be a typical John Schneider draft for Seattle. They don't have a first-round pick after trading for Jamal Adams with the Jets last summer. They only have one pick in the first three rounds. Their picks are two rounds two, four, and seven, and that is not enough to get impact players that can start for you right away. So Seattle has decided to trade their picks and get Jamal Adams and get Gabe Jackson and get Carlos Dunlap last season. And that seems like the route they're going to go, which makes this a very, very different draft coming up next month for Seattle and not one that they can count on filling holes with. Understood that when you evaluate a trade in any sport, but specifically the NFL, because that's what we're talking about here, you need to give it a minimum of five years, but you can analyze it along the way to this point. Do the Seahawks feel good about the Adams trade? He made some plays for him. He's the best pass-rushing defensive back in the National Football League, but you expect DBs to be able to do more. He might do enough in just one area where he's so far and away better than everybody else that bounces the scales and then some. They gave up a lot to get him. The Jets are going to cash in some of those picks this year, and the Seahawks, as you pointed out, paying the price with the very few draft picks that they have. Uh, Seahawks okay with where they're at uh, one year into the trade? They are right now, Jody. They will not be if they can't re-sign him. (laughs) When they traded for him, they knew, of course, that his contract would end after 2021. They knew that he was going to ask to be the highest-paid safety in the league. They knew that price would go to about $16 million or more per year, and that all has happened. And with the other signings around the league, the market is now north of $15 million. And that's where the Seahawks expect to start their conversations with Adams. Nine and a half sacks last year, you mentioned the most by a defensive back in NFL history. He was their only threat pass rushing until Carlos Dunlap showed up. He really would benefit by good cornerback play. Uh, Shaquille Griffin was not as good last year outside as he was as a pro bowler in 2019. Quentin Dunbar, they traded with Washington to get to be the other side. He played only 10 of 16 games and had a chronic knee injury and eventually season-ending knee surgery. He's a free agent now, Jody, and they're probably going to try to sign him, and he'll be cheap to re-sign because of his injury and his legal troubles last year as well. It could be Quentin Dunbar and Akello Witherspoon 
as their two starting corners. They still have Trey Flowers, who had been their starter in 2018 and 19, is still here. Dunbar took his place last year. And then they have D.J. Reed, who was a cast-off from San Francisco, put on injury waivers last September. The Seahawks picked him up, put him on layaway until he was healthy in November, and he was a revelation as both a nickel and a starting corner at only 5'9". He's not the Pete Carroll mold of a Seahawks tall, lanky quarterback, a corner, but he is so aggressive on the ball. He's the most aggressive playmaker in the secondary last year. All that's a long way to say that Jamal Adams will really benefit by two things. One, corner, good corner play next to him. He's got Quandre Diggs, a really strong safety next to him, and a pass rush that he doesn't have to blitz all the time. And if they can, they could still possibly re-sign Carlos Dunlap or a veteran other. Jadavion Clowney is still out there. Uh, Everson Griffin is still out there. One-year type deals that the Seahawks really like to do and to stay cost-effective in free agency. But I, they're going to need to sign another pass rusher so that Jamal Adams doesn't have to be the blitzer he was the first half of last season. And then I think you'll see a more well-rounded Adams. He also played with three different injuries last year, had two surgeries at the end of the season one for a broken finger and one for a dislocated shoulder. So he can argue easily that if he's healthier than three injuries with two surgeries, you're going to get a better play out of him in his contract year. Certainly hear that. And speaking of that contract year, if they do want to sign him and keep him, which is certainly what their goal is, most times to be able to get something like that done at the top of the market positionally, you need a little help from guys that are already under contract. And the one guy who could most uh, make that happen would be Russell Wilson. Again, you're telling me that all emotions will calm down by the time camp opens up. It'll be Kumbaya and holding hands, and they go to Russell and say, hey, Russell, can we put some extra years on your contract? We'll make them voidable years, but be able to spread some money out here so we can make sure we keep a guy like Jamal Adams? Well, here's what's unique about that, Jody, is that in the last contract negotiation, the Seahawks had written in to – uh, their contract that he they could renegotiate that and restructure it at any time without his blessing, and even if he didn't want to. Now, they've been with them for 10 years, and, of course, they would talk to him about doing it before they did it. But the Seahawks specifically put that clause in the contract so that they could do it at any time they felt they need to. Now, they have been reluctant to do this. Only two times in the 11 years of Schneider and Carroll have they done it. Doug Baldwin did it once so they could get Sheldon Richardson in a trade from the Jets, defensive tackle, and then Wilson himself did it for his contract when they traded for Dwayne Brown with Houston in 2017 to fit his deal under the cap during the season. But I confirmed with Wilson's agent that he is the language is in the contract where the Seahawks can do it without his blessing. Uh, I think they would make sure he was on board for it before they did it, but they're reaching the point where they may have to do that. When you see them here in the next day or two officially announce Chris Carson's deal for what could be $6.5 million up front first year, to get that under the cap, because they are right at the cap, I mean almost zero right now, they're going to have to either cut a veteran or restructure salary. And Wilson's making $19 million. They could fill, clear $12 million in cap space by converting his base salary to bonus money. They could get $6 million more doing the same thing to Bobby Wagner. But, of course, that kicks the salary cap can down the road a couple years. What's good about it for teams to do that now, though, Jody, as you know, the league just signed its new TV and streaming rights deal Yep. The cap is going to explode in 2023. It's down at 182 right now. It may get to 200 million next year as a market correction. But in 2023, when that, those TV deals take place, 10 billion with a B dollars a year, the cap could be 230 million dollars or more in 2023. That's 50 million dollars more than it is right now. So, 
If there was ever a time for the Seahawks to depart their norm, Jody, and, and restructure and defer costs to later, it's now because that 2023 cap's going to give them room to do it. Now, I'm not the strongest at math, but uh, even I can figure this one out. It's pretty much a foregone conclusion that that's exactly what's going to happen. They will kick the can down the road, to use your accurate phrase, because, yeah, there's going to be plenty of space to kick that can when the cap does the rising exactly. that we all expect it to do. <laughs> Great, great stuff. Appreciate you coming on tonight. Thank you much. We will be in touch again, maybe before the draft. We're going to try and touch base with all the teams, even though we can have a short conversation with you because the Seahawks have so few draft picks. We still may get you on the line just the same. Thanks for hopping on with us tonight. All right, Joey. Always good to talk to you. Happy spring to you. Thank you. My pleasure. That is Greg Bell. He covers the Seahawks for the New Tribune up there in Seattle here with us on CBS Sports Radio. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.